Brought to you by the Mary Christie Institute, a thought leadership organization dedicated to the behavioral health and well-being of teens and young adults. We have a particular focus on college students. I'm Marjorie Malpedi, the executive director of the Mary Christie Institute. And I'm Dana Humphrey, the associate director of the Mary Christie Institute, and we're the hosts of the podcast. Today, we are talking about faculty's role in college student mental health, a dynamic that has changed significantly over the past 18 months due to the pandemic, but remains a major factor in improving campus climates around mental health and well-being. Today's guests spend a lot of time thinking about this. They are Dr. Andrew Shepardson, Vice President for Student Affairs and Dean of Students at Bentley University, and Dr. Zoe Raguzios, Executive Director of Counseling and Wellness Services at New York University. Dr. Raguzios, is also the president of the Mary Christie Institute, and Dr. Shepardson is on our board of directors. Andrew and Zoe, welcome to the quadcast. Hi. Thank you very much. I'm excited to get started. I have two great experts here on this topic. Much has been discussed about faculty's role in helping to support college student mental health with the conclusion that it is a key factor. The Mary Christie Institute, together with the Healthy Minds Network and the BU School of Public Health, did a survey on this last spring. We're definitely going to be talking about some of what we learned. But first, I wanted to ask each of you, and I may start with you, Andrew, why faculty are such an important piece of this puzzle. I think part of the reason is a really simple one. They see students at least once a week, and in most instances, sometimes twice a week or three times a week. And it's just a way of scaling up eyes on students and and to be connected with them. They also get to know students in a way that uh, most others on a college campus don't always know them. So they have that relationship and they're the first to understand or see when something's not going right or a student is struggling in a way that maybe they weren't struggling a month before. So it's a really important connection and one that students are always looking to faculty for some support in many uh, situations. Yeah, yeah, that is so true. Zoe, I might ask you the same question. I know you've done a lot of work in this area. Sure. Faculty certainly play a vital role if for no other reason than because they can promote well-being inside their classrooms, which might reduce the number of stressors that students will experience. But more than this, I think that over the course of their time at university, just like Andrew said, students build bonds inside the classroom. And for that reason, they might turn to their faculty in a time of need, even if there are so many other resources available to them outside the classroom. And then moreover, they respect their faculty and they'll heed their advice to seek support much more readily than I think if a counselor or a family member offers the same guidance. And then especially during the pandemic, as Andrew alluded to, the faculty may have been the only contact the student had with their institution because most were studying remotely, which made them even more paramount to making sure that students were okay. So Zoe, I actually want to stick with you on, and, and actually stick with that question of how things have changed over the last 18 months with everything that has happened in higher ed and, and with students' remote learning, the social injustices that have been exposed, the upset, the confusion, the isolation. We've learned through our survey how important the faculty's role is, particularly, again, this past year and a half. What's interesting is as important as those dynamics that you both laid out are around faculty and student relationships, there's still a lot we don't know. There's still a lot administrators are sort of scratching the head around in terms of how to maybe leverage this in ways that will help the overall student mental health crisis on campuses. So 
it's a really big um, topic. But I, I have two questions for you, Zoe. One you alluded to. You've done a lot of training with faculty, and I want to ask you a little bit more about that. You're the head of a large counseling center with global staff. Tell us a little bit more about how you train and also how the last 18 months has maybe affected how you train. What have we learned about the pandemic that maybe has changed the way you direct faculty around these issues? Sure. Yeah, I would say that more than my guidance changing during the pandemic, it's really the consistency of communication with faculty around the issue of well-being that did change during COVID. I think that there was a new appreciation and recognition of well-being playing such an important role in students functioning. And the acknowledgement, as we were just discussing, of the important role that faculty play in this. So in terms of my guidance, it changed, but it also stayed the same in many ways. I have done decades of training with faculty. Primarily, we talk about knowing the signs of a student in distress. And certainly given the disruption in students' lives during the pandemic, there were so many new stressors to consider. And I make sure to highlight those like grief and bereavement or financial insecurity, and certainly lots of related both to the pandemic and racial injustice. I talk about knowing the resources, and these are certainly the ones that have been well-established over the years, but certainly new ones that we incorporated during the pandemic. Lots of support groups. I'm sure that lots of universities around the country were creating support groups to help students to to cope. And so certainly promoting those resources as I talk to faculty and then talking to faculty about how they can contribute to building social connection, which was new, but also the same. I mean, it's it's sort of an important role in the classroom, but it took on new meaning during the pandemic. And then again, I, I as I was saying earlier, I always try to impress on, upon the faculty their unique role and how important they are in students' lives. And then finally, something new that I always talk about with faculty now, and I think I will forevermore, is the issue of their own well-being and functioning and how central that is, given the amount of uh, challenges they had to surmount while having to teach during the pandemic. And so I try to remind them that if they're going to help others with their well-being, they also have to be mindful of their own. Wow, that's great. Particularly now, of course. Andrew, I'm just going to ask you if you have want to comment on all of the above. That was some really good advice. That was great advice. And, and I think what I would add, part of it too, at least for at the institution I work, which is very much a place-based residential uh, institution, that ability to have those connections for faculty to just serendipitously run into a staff member to ask a question or a fellow faculty member to say, hey, this happened in my classroom today. I'm not sure how to respond to it. Do you have any advice? And, and hopefully those connections can lead you know, to making a connection with our counseling center. But when we were all remote, those were often more difficult to have those conversations. It was also more difficult to see how students were doing. Some students were turning off cameras. Was that an internet issue? Was that uh, they didn't want to be seen? So that made all of these pieces a little bit more complicated. And now as we're coming back, we're trying to find those connections again to ensure that there is support uh, for faculty and those connections are there, that they know how to connect with each other, but also how to manage those new interactions for some of our students who haven't been in a classroom for 18 months and who are now struggling with some of that anxiety as they walk in and how you can do that, lower that anxiety for the entire group, not just for targeted to one student, but that the whole group is probably coming in with some significant anxiety about being in the classroom 
and going through the stressors uh, of doing uh, serious academic work. So I'm going to stick with you, Andrew, and talk a little bit more about the issue itself, faculty's role in supporting college student mental health. You supervise all student affairs, on, and obviously that's the health center and the counseling center, the folks that like Zoe who are working with faculty. And I think it's fair to say some faculty are better than others in terms of wanting to reach out and help students in distress. We had a survey that we conducted, I mentioned, referred to earlier in April, and and we learned a lot. We did it because we felt as though this was an issue that that our audience wanted to learn more about. And so we did a survey with the Healthy Minds Network and with the BU School of Public Health, and we learned some interesting things. So one of the things we learned was that faculty perceived that their students' mental health had worsened over the past year. 87% had thoughts so. So this is related to all of what you two have been talking about. So another 80% had a one-on-one conversation with a student about their mental health. Yet only 51% said they were confident that they could detect a student in distress. And 73% said that they would welcome more training. It's a lot of numbers in there, but we came away thinking that faculty actually are working closely with students, despite the fact that some schools wish they were doing more so. Some schools worry about the liability around that. The fact of the matter is students and faculty are discussing mental health. But it sounds like there might be a bit of a gap in terms of the direction they're getting and their training. Again, this is a national survey, Andrew, but and I won't ask you to talk specifically to your purview, but what are your thoughts on all that? What can the sort of higher ed leaders do about some of these gaps? Well, I, I think that first piece, the training, uh, that the faculty are looking for more help, want to make sure that they're doing, they're having these conversations, but they're doing it in the right way. And, and I, I think by and large, every faculty member will say they don't want to do, make more harm than good. They want to make sure that they're really working with the student and doing the right thing. So I think we've really got to think about that training piece and that conversation piece with faculty. It's hard to say to a faculty member, you have to come to a training, but I think you can create an avenue or an approach where you're asking them to come, let us help you help your students be more successful in the classroom by addressing some of their mental health uh, needs and issues. So I think approaching in that way and giving them the skill set and the tools to know what they can handle, because many of these are they could handle conversations about how do I put my academics together? How do I deal with some of the stress or anxiety or the time management pieces? They can do those conversations and then know how to refer off or refer the student to someone else. I think the other piece that's really key here is building trust uh, and that faculty know that there are individuals on the campus who they can trust and who will help them out through a situation. So we've tried to do that. We have a network where you can report if you have a concern about someone in the community but we really try to make sure we have a strong feedback loop so that when somebody refers somebody and you, you may not be able to tell them all the details or, or what's exactly going on, but they know that their referral was valued. They know a few days later that someone has been following up and the work has been really helpful and their referral was really key to that. So they know it's not just going into a black hole and not being addressed or that maybe they shouldn't have done it in the first place. So that building of that trust, particularly in those scenarios continues and helps faculty want to be more engaged in these conversations and want to think about it more holistically and work with the counseling center or student affairs or within their department uh, to work through these issues. So when you say trust, and you're talking about trust within community members. Correct. Trust that they can call. If they call and seek help, they will get that help, that there will be someone there who will support them through it uh, and have those conversations with a student 
and report back that that they are following up on it, that their message wasn't just not listened to or followed up on. And if I can throw something in there, Marge? Please do. I was just going to ask you as an advisor on the survey. Yeah, it it sometimes needs to be made very clear to the faculty that any intervention they make when they have knowledge of a student struggling with mental health issues is a legitimate one, right? So they don't all have to feel comfortable speaking to a student and discussing their mental health issues. They can just refer it if they feel comfortable only doing that. And then, of course, you teach them more for those who would feel comfortable probing further with a student, you would teach them some more skills. But you want to let them know that any intervention they make is important. And um, as Andrew said, will be followed up on and that they don't all have to feel comfortable approaching the student and getting the details themselves. Got it. So it sounds like, Zoe, in your view and Andrew, yours as well, the really the most important thing to the extent that you can pick one would be to make sure faculty can I detect and refer a student who may be needing some help. Is that, would you say that's true? I would say that's true for me. I think faculty spend so much time with students when they see that something's not right or off, they should go with their instinct and either have the conversation if they're comfortable, or as Zoe said, just make the referral uh, and make sure that the student is supported. And even if perhaps maybe the student doesn't need that support, they will feel comforted by the fact that their faculty member cared enough to say, I'm worried about you and I want to make sure you're okay. Yeah, that's exactly what I was going to say, that faculty need to be reminded how important they are in this mix. And just sometimes the student knowing that the faculty member cared enough to intervene, however they feel comfortable doing so, will go so much further in getting that student the resources they need, even if those resources were available the whole time. And so I think that more than knowing how to refer, I would want them to understand their role and I would want them to realize how important they are in in getting students the help that they need. Do you think faculty can do more to show their own emotions or to talk more freely about feelings, how their students are doing. And I'm wondering if it's something that they'll do more of now after what we've been through over the last 18 months. I can say that I think that faculty, they don't have to disclose their own personal feelings, but they can certainly acknowledge the challenge of the current time. And they can say that this has been challenging for me as it's been challenging for you, maybe in some of the same ways, maybe in different ways. And I think, again, you know, if they could verbally say that in a class, that the students will really appreciate that they're being considered as whole people and not just how they're functioning in that particular class in that moment. And then they could do a lot more. I think making syllabus statements, just again, reminding students of the resources, considering different options for class participation and facilitating, again, a community in the classroom with student group, like small groups and varying ways of participating so that students who don't feel comfortable raising their hands can contribute in other ways and just encouraging life balance generally in the classroom with deadlines and those kinds of things. You know, that goes so far and it doesn't require the faculty member to be talking about their own personal feelings, but just conveying in the classroom that well-being is important for the students and for them as well. Andrew, any thoughts on that? Yeah, I would agree. And I obviously you want the faculty member to be authentic and real in what they're sharing. So they have to feel comfortable. But I, I think sometimes even around failure and understanding that not every everything is always an A plus or always successful is really helpful to students to hear those stories. So if they're taking a course with a faculty member who can share 
I struggled with this material when I was in college, or I didn't do well on my first test, or some of those pieces to understand that failure is not just a one-time loss and that there is no hope of recovery from there, but failure is an opportunity to learn and to grow and to move from there. And I think for some students who only see social media and see all the happy pieces that are out there, to understand that some of the challenges they're facing have been faced by others. And I that that moment with a faculty member being able to share that if they're comfortable and can be authentic with it, it's really important, can really help uh, a student open up to them to share their own struggles or how they're doing as they're going through the stressors and the rigors of college life. Gosh, I could say that the same for any conversation, right? Correct. Um, correct. We, we could all use that. The great points. I want to s- just talk about one other point in our survey that indicated that a percentage of faculty, 25%, particularly those of color, found their environments to be hostile or somewhat hostile to students of color. And this is obviously disturbing on many levels, but I thought I might ask you, Zoe, why it's particularly concerning from where you sit. If the pandemic has highlighted anything for us, it's that our social environments affect our mental health. So, you know, the, this data point about faculty having doubts about whether students of color are fully welcomed at their institution is, of course, of significant concern. If they don't trust their administrations and in turn the services provided by those administrations, they won't advocate that their students use those services. And whether someone feels that they belong will affect their mental health. So it's all really one conversation. You know, I don't consider this separate from the conversation about mental health because certainly one feeling included and feeling like they belong will affect their mental health. So faculty not feeling like students of color are welcomed in their classroom is all a conversation about the mental health of students. And so back to the conversation about trust, universities need to make a huge effort, we all can improve in this regard, of improving our services to students of color and making sure that the faculty are aware of the interventions that we're making so that they can build trust and so that they can trust referring students of color to our services. Andrew, I'm putting you on the spot in terms of what higher leadership, higher education leadership, president's offices, cabinets can be thinking about in terms of helping solve this problem? I think one of the first things that has to happen is to listen uh, to students and to the faculty uh, that, as you're pointing out, are sharing the concerns they're hearing from students. I think it's too often to either read a survey or dismiss, you know, this service doesn't meet my needs or doesn't make me feel welcome when you believe. Well, of course it does. I know the people that work there. But when you sit and you talk to a student and you can build some trust and you can have a conversation about what systemically is not making you feel welcome? What are the pieces uh, of your experience that are not feeling you included or not allowing you to trust that people here care about you? It is in the last 18 months really changed my perspective. And maybe part of that is the fact that we could do meetings by Zoom and maybe in some ways just being one-on-one with a student by computer screen made that opening up a little bit easier or the ability to share that. But for me, I have learned so much more by just listening to students and their experiences and then trying to figure out as a leader, how do I incorporate what I'm learning into how we change this experience for students? So I I really think presidents and cabinets and, and leaders really need to listen to students uh, and faculty of color about what is happening on their campuses, what systemically 
their experience is and how uh, they can then go forward and address it. Terrific. I think that will have to be our last question. Thank you both so much for being with us and sharing your wisdom and advice. We hope that faculty members will tune into this episode of the Quadcast. And I want to mention that the Mary Christie Institute has created a new guide for faculty on college student mental health. It was advised by Dr. Bagusius and students themselves through focus groups this summer. So this will be available on our website along with this episode of the Quadcast. So I hope everybody has a chance to, to check that out. Thank you so much, Andrew and Zoe, and best of luck in the fall semester. I am hoping you guys are continuing all the great work that you did last year. And again, I hope that you have some semblance of normal, but I don't know if that's the case. Thanks for having us. It was great to talk about this important topic. Thank you very much. This was great. Thank you to both. Bye-bye. This has been the Quadcast, a program of the Mary Christie Institute. To learn more about our work, go to marychristieinstitute.org, where you can sign up for our other programs, like the MC Feed and the Mary Christie Quarterly. And if you like what we're doing, leave us a rating or review on your favorite podcast player. Thanks so much for listening.